Well, as I was trying to figure out how to conclude last week's untidy sermon, I came across a folder from a workshop I attended years ago about planning for end-of-life concerns. The workshop centered on three questions. What should I do? What can I do? What shall I do? I thought, hey, that's a tidy way of organizing one's thoughts. I like this, but I'll save it for next week. Identifying what we should do is always a tricky business. It comes from a lifetime of learning about what is expected of us, informed by family, culture, religion, and our own conscience, any of which may be giving us unhealthy messages, and any of which may be at times in conflict with each other. Hopefully, all of this usually settles into shoulds that are good for us and the world, enabling us to make good decisions. But should has a tendency to just sit there. I know I should get off my phone and do what others need of me, but somehow I keep not doing it. If we don't move beyond should, we may wind up feeling weak, guilty, and helpless. So here comes the next question. What can I do? In the Episcopal Liturgy of Baptism, there is a recurring response to a number of questions. I will, with God's help. This vow acknowledges that we have a role to play in fulfilling our baptismal vows, but also that it's not all up to us. We believe that God is with us, empowering us to do what should be done. So as Christians, anytime we're trying to assess what can I do, it's important to keep God in the equation. To settle only for what we believe we can realistically accomplish on our own steam is to fail to step out in faith. So we've gotten from should to can, but if we stop at can, we haven't yet done anything. It's when we allow should and can to shift into shall that things might begin to happen. God gives us a huge gift, the urge and the ability to give generously to others. Indeed, this is one of the main points of the Christian life, to trust in God, but also to allow our lives to be transformed in community with others so that we all help God transform the world. Christianity can never be a solo sport. So, what should we do? What can we do? And then, what shall we do? In our gospel reading today, Jesus is in the final week of his earthly life. He is teaching in the temple and drawing quite a crowd. The chief priests and the elders have just about had it with him. Where did this guy come from, and how is it that he gets to do the things he's doing? They demand to see his credentials. But Jesus knows they're not arguing in good faith. They are used to being in control, and they'll do whatever they must to cling to it. Well, the kingdom of God cannot be experienced or realized under such controlling conditions. So instead of engaging them directly and earnestly, Jesus indulges in a bit of whataboutism. Hey, turnabout is fair play, right? Okay, you tell me first. Was the work of John the Baptist sanctioned and empowered by God? And now the chief priests and elders act like politicians. What can they say that will satisfy Jesus and the crowds and preserve their own reputation? 
If they say John was sent by God, they'll have to answer for their constant disapproval of him. But if they say John was a fraud, what will the crowd do? So they hedge. Um, we don't know. Okay, Jesus says, then I don't owe you any explanation for my own actions. And that's how you handle hypocrites. Next, Jesus pivots to a mini parable. A father tells his two sons to do their chores. One petulantly says that he won't, but then he does. The other eagerly says he will, but then he doesn't. Now, every parent knows that it's better for your child to do the chores grumpily than not at all. Jesus compares his detractors to the second son, the one who put on a show of obedience, but then played hooky. Imagine each son asking these three questions, what should I do? They should do their chores. What can I do? They can do their chores. What shall I do? Well, here's where they differ. But even their declared shall doesn't determine what they do in the end. Jesus says that it doesn't matter one bit what you promised or what you didn't promise. Doubtless, the son who said he'd work had a raft of reasons he didn't go, and he was probably ready to tell his dad all about them. But at the end of the day, it's better to keep a promise you didn't make than to break a promise you did make. Based on this parable, Jesus announces that God far prefers the company of people who have messed up time and time again and who have absolute clarity about that fact than to hang out with the political schemers who don't even understand the harm they're doing. If we want to get them from, if we want to get from should through can to shall and then actually do what we have declared we shall do, clarity is what's called for. And clarity begins in our private prayers. Well, today, today is the first day of our fall pledge campaign. Oh, yes, preacher, I knew you'd get to that. <laughs> it's a time for each of us to make a decision about what we'll give to support the work of Good Shepherd in 2024. And there are few areas in the life of the church more uncomfortable for most of us than talking about money. But why should this be the case? I mean, really, we all know that some of us have a lot of money to share, and others of us have very little money to share, and that variety of circumstances gives us all room to grow together in understanding and relationship. I can never say this too often. It's not about the amount, friends. It's simply about participation. Now, I'll qualify that by saying that in your private prayers, of course, it is indeed about the amount. It's possible to agonize over the question of how much you should give to the church or can give to the church, but I want to suggest a way to make it easier. Just pick a percentage, do the math, and move to shall. You can always change it later. In several places, the Bible comes to your aid. It suggests a specific percentage to give, 10%. So Christy and I do that every year, and our pledge changes with our income. In 2024, based on our combined salaries, Christy and I shall pledge $14,500. I'm sorry if hearing a specific dollar amount makes you uncomfortable, but I make this plain every year. I want to help us all get over our twitchiness about money. Jesus certainly talked about money constantly, 
and quite baldly. Now, I recognize that scarcity is a real thing for many of us. Never go into debt to meet your pledge. But I also see that it gives us opportunity to trust in God's provision. In my experience, those with less money do this more easily than those with more. When we're accustomed to using money to protect ourselves from harm, we invest more power in it than it deserves. If you won't even miss that 10%, you may well conclude that 10% is too low. When Paul urges the Philippians to give themselves to community, it's important to notice that he's addressing them in the plural. You can't see that in English, but it's really clear in Greek. Read it like a good southerner and it'll, even make, it'll make more sense. Work out y'all's own salvation with fear and trembling. God is enabling y'all both to work and to will for God's good pleasure. Paul means that our human relationships should and can mirror God's relationship to us. And that fits in here. God, God empties the divine self, taking the form of a human who lived his life in sync with God's desires. Jesus gave himself and gave and gave. Sometimes he went off and replenished himself so he could give more, but giving was the hallmark of his life, and he gave all the way to death. Then Jesus rose and ascended to God to be above all things, metaphorically all the way down and all the way back up again. The one we worship knows all about finding ways to give in every changing circumstance. So walk through these questions today. What should I give? I may have tried to give you some guidance here, but this really is between you and God. What can I give? That's a matter of balance between your needs, the needs of those you support, your planning for the future, and your expectation of God's providence. What shall I give? Well, there's your pledge. To be declared this month, but to be realized over the course of next year. So what should we do? What can we do? And what shall we do together?